So the verses coming up are really, uh, uh, how do you say it? Feet to the fire. What? Feet to the fire. Yeah, feet to the fire. And if you ever try and defend your own self-centeredness again, read these verses. It completely destroys any reason we have to to be self-centered. Of course, we keep being self-centered. Yeah. We keep thinking that that is going to bring us happiness. Um, But as we go through the upcoming verses, it becomes so clear that it's the road to misery. But I want my way. And people should like me. And they should respect me. And I want to be loved because I really am wonderful. Mm, Right? Don't you think that? Mm? Some of you aren't so sure. (laughs) Okay. So let's... Visualize the mirror field in the space in front. And ourselves surrounded by all the sentient beings. And think of what all the sentient beings are doing right now. You know, in the different realms of existence, even, you know, in this country, in the world, all the different experiences sentient beings, fish, birds, insects, our turkeys. So many different experiences and everybody just trying to be happy. Let's cultivate our motivation. And especially since these teachings are about bodhicitta and the disadvantages of self-centeredness, the benefits of cherishing others, especially because that's what we're studying, we should do our best to have those understandings those ways of looking at the world in our own mind when we listen to the teachings. So we're not listening for any kind of self-aggrandizement, that we're better students than everybody else, that we take better notes, that we meditate better than everybody else on the disadvantages of (laughs) self-centeredness. Uh, that we want to become somebody who can teach everybody else 
Yeah, the benefits of cherishing others. Yeah, so we really have to look at what our usual uh, MO is and throw it out the window and try and look at things the way Shantideva does and uh, really see, you know, by looking at our own life experience that whenever we make a big to-do about self and ignore others or make a big to-do about self and actively harm others, doesn't work out well. And we're in fact harming ourselves, even though we think we're benefiting ourselves. So remembering the kindness of other living beings and how everything we have and everything we know all of our talents and abilities come from others. They aren't ours. So the feeling of dependency on others just stay on alive. And gratitude to others for sharing what they know and the efforts of their labors. But that kind of awareness quite strong in our mind then let's aim to repay that kindness and repaying kindness doesn't mean we run around fixing everybody else's problems and sticking our nose into everybody else's business repaying the kindness can also mean Uh, working diligently on our own dharma practice and trying to transform our own mind. Because then when we interact with others, we will be kinder and not so irascible. And then also believing in ourselves and our own potential. Striving to complete all the causes for full awakening so we can really benefit others. And having an energetic attitude to do that without feeling like, oh, it's just too hard. I want to sleep late. No. But really uh, being aware of what we can do and being excited to do it. And to know that the results are beneficial for the world.
So this morning, as I was uh, reading the verses to prepare, I felt like I was reading the newspaper. Because when I read the newspaper yesterday, everything I read was like the verses in this text. So uh, if I bring up examples from current events today, I'm not talking about politics, I'm talking about ethics. Yeah, I'm talking about just life. Huh? Okay. So really the, you know, the paper is a Lamrim teaching par excellence. Yeah. Okay. So we're on verse 120, huh? Let's start with 119. I should not turn away from what is difficult. <laughs> really? <laughs> but it's hard. Can't I have a break? No, I shouldn't turn away from what's difficult. Why not? Because by the power of familiarity, I may be made unhappy even when someone whose name once frightened me is not around. So by the power of familiarity, yeah, I could get scared by hearing the name of the kid who beat me up in first grade. That kid, I have no idea what happened to them. There's, I don't know if they're even alive. But by the power of familiarity and our rumination, you know, how many times have we thought of that episode in first grade, you know, and gone over and over and over and over it and made a vow that we're going to show them, yeah, that they can't bully us. Okay, so by the power of familiarity, you know, we can dig ourselves into a lot of ditches, hold on to a lot of grudges, yeah. but by the power of familiarity, we can also make things that were once difficult easy, because as we familiarize ourselves with something, another way of looking at things, then that becomes more familiar, more habitual, and uh, we shift. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, uh, it's like learning to type. Do you remember typing from high school? <laughs> you know, you go into the class the first day and you're like this, and... And then they talk about typing, I don't know, 90 words a minute or whatever it is, 110 words a minute. And you go, oh, I can't do that. And then your typing teacher, you know, every lesson gives you some things and has you practice. And maybe by the end of the course, you can't do 90 or 110 or 120, but you're up to 70 maybe, <laughs> Yeah. Or even 40. But you're better than you were before. Because at least you're not doing this. <laughs> at least, you know, it's the whole power of familiarity. So what do we familiarize ourselves with? 
now. Our environment conditions us a lot about that. But we, uh, we can also choose how our environment influences us. We can choose the environments we put ourselves in when we're adults, not so much when we're little. But we can also choose how we see situations and that will make some things more difficult and other things much easier. Mm-hmm. Okay, 120. Thus, whoever wishes to afford quick, uh, to quickly afford protection to both the self and other beings should practice that holy secret, the exchanging of self for others. Okay, that's the holy secret. Yeah, it's not the grail. It's not some conspiracy theory. It's not, you know, the Red Sea parting. (laughs) It's exchanging self for others. And, And exchanging self for others affords protection. It protects us and it protects others. So then we have to ask, how does cherishing others, how does exchanging myself for others protect me? And what does it protect me from? Anybody have any ideas? Yeah? By doing that practice, we're cultivating the mind that then cherishes others. Mm-hmm. So the way that we normally take care of ourselves and we're number one, we transfer that thinking towards others. And so we're not going to engage in harm. We're mm-hmm. instead going to be doing everything to be a benefit with the current capacity we have. Yeah. And in that way, okay, we're protecting others from our anger and jealousy and so on but we're protecting ourselves from creating the negative karma that throws us into unfortunate rebirths. Yeah. So in chapter one of the the book, he really talked about the benefits of bodhicitta, and how bodhicitta is such a strong purification of so many negativities, you know, and the more we can purify, the less risk we have of lower rebirth and the fewer obstacles we have in in this life. Okay, so that's the holy secret, exchanging myself and for others. That means I've got to give away my good roller skates to get your crummy ones? Is that what this means? You're not so sure. (laughs) Yeah, you have to give away your good roller skates. It sounds dumb, doesn't it? Like, I don't care, but I don't even have roller skates anymore. Of course I can give them away. That's easy. Well, think of something that you hang on to that you don't want to give up. You know, roller skates is an example from when you were a kid. Yeah, but we're coming up to changing rooms. The once a year trauma. 
that people go through at the Abbey. Because you finally have your room all fixed up the way you want. And now you have to give it up. Yeah? That comforter that you didn't like when you first moved into the room, now you love it. And now you have to move into another room where they only have blankets. Yeah, with somebody else's cooties. Yeah, oh my goodness. How come we have to do this? It's horrible. Yeah. So just, you know, think of what you have that you don't want to give up. Yeah. Maybe the the nice uh, rug by your bed that you smuggled in from your previous room. <laughs> and now the person who's moving into your room knows that rug is there, isn't expecting it to be there, and so you're going to have to give it up. <sighs> Oh, my goodness. That means every time you get out of bed, that rug's not going to be there for your poor cold feet. <laughs> yeah? This is just... Yeah. And then moving offices. Oh, now I have to clean up my, my desk. Even if you didn't move your office. You have to clean up your desk. Wait a whole day, a whole day to clean your desk. Because for some people, that's what it takes. And actually, they need two or three more days. Yeah. But it's horrible cleaning up your desk. Yeah. Because then you have to admit how disorganized you are and what a mess it is and how you can't even find the desk beneath all your stuff on top of it. You know, giving up to small things is is difficult. You know, when we we had we changed the the teams in the org chart, and they didn't put me where I want to be. I have certain talents in a certain area, and they didn't put me on that team. I have to give that up. No. Yeah, I wanted to be on this other team, and they put me on, on what? The, the team that I don't want to be on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see that something was going on there. <laughs> Hit some button. <laughs> so, yeah. All the trials and tribulations of our life where, you know, it's so hard to give up even small things. And then especially, you know, when you're 
moving rooms, then, it, you know, you have to look at all your books. You know, don't just put all your books in a box and, and move them. Remember, it's only one shelf of books. And check every single book and see if it's a library book. Because some of our books in our library have gone missing. I know Peter Pan took some, but the rest of them may be in your room. So try and return them. Oh, but I love that book, and I forgot I have it. I don't want to give it up. I like it just to sit on myself so I know I have it. Yeah. It's incredible how our mind works. Huh? And in terms of robes, you know, two sets. One to wear, one to wash. Yeah, not three or four or five sets of robes. Yeah, not, you know, three or four or six or seven jackets. No, only what we need. So it means, you know, this is, this is the lifestyle we chose as monastics, which means that we have to you know, simplify and not have so much. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But I have to give up this robe that I've had since I was ordained. It looks like I've had it since I was ordained. No, and I only have one, so I can keep this. Okay. But, uh, you know, to look at, at what our sticky fingers doesn't want to release. And that's only material things, yeah. Not giving up positions and advantages and opportunities and things like that, which are much harder to give up. Okay. Okay, so here we go, 121. Because of attachment to my body, even a small object of fear frightens me. Yeah. Or maybe a nun frightens you. I went to say something to him the other day. He was back uh, doing something at the kitchen. No, at the, at the at, yeah, at the snacks thing. And I just came up and started to say something just very softly. And he jumped all the way with his back against the wall, panting. <laughs> With a red face. <laughs> so I guess I'm scary. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> okay. Um, so because of attachment to my body, even a small object of fear frightens me. So who would not revile as an enemy this body that gives rise to fear? Yeah. 
So it's true with the first two two lines, because we're attached to the body. Even small things we're terrified of, like germs. Yeah? Some people are like so skittish about germs that, you know, washing your hands all the time, wiping everything off with, you know, all these uh, chemical things that aren't good for you. <laughs> you wipe away the drain, the, the germs, and then you get the chemicals in your body instead. Um, you know, the, the stink bugs. Oh, and our dear friends this season. Yeah, our dear friends, the ticks. Itty bitty, they're like this big. And we're terrified of them. Yeah. And we don't have the, the, the ticks that cause uh, Lyme disease. We just have the ticks that when they bite you, they itch a lot for about 10 days. Okay. But, oh. <laughs> yeah. Terrified of ticks, terrified of mosquitoes. Yeah, why are we so afraid of them when we're bigger and we kill them? They're afraid of us. Uh-huh. But it's because of attachment to our body, isn't it? I don't want them even crawling. Uh-huh. Or, you know, afraid of cats, afraid of cougars. I know there's a cougar lurking behind that tree. Yeah. Actually, I think there's more chance of moose these days. If you've walked out on the, the road, there's moose scat everywhere. Yeah. You ever seen a moose in the forest? They're big. Yeah. Yeah, they're really big. One time I was walking on um, Middle Way, and all of a sudden a moose just jumped out of the tree, you know, the, the, the forest. It was all crowded. I didn't see. Just jumped out, you know, not very far in front of me with a big brack. And he, he was scared of me. He took off. <laughs> yeah. He took one look at me. I think he just heard me walking or something, jumped out and ran. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So even a small object frightens me because of attachment to the body. Yeah. So, yeah, usually, because you know, when this is the situation, we blame the object. Get rid of the germs. Get rid of the, the ticks. Get rid of the other cars on the highway. They scare me because people, you know, cut in front of me. So get rid of the outside thing that scares me. But what Shantideva is saying is, who would not revile as an enemy this body that gives rise to the fear? So when we're afraid, it's not just, you know, when you look and analyze the causes of our fear, 
the cause, we think the cause of our fear is something external to us, you know, that came and frightened us. But if we weren't, if we didn't have this body and if we weren't attached to this body, that thing would not frighten us at all. Yeah. So, you know, when we really think about, you know, well, what frightens me, it's not just the outside thing. It's, you know, if you're frightened about what's going to happen to your body, it's our craving and our craving before we were born for having another body, our attachment to this blob of vegetable goo. Yeah. And then the mind, uh, you know, that's attached. And all this comes together and causes the fear. Okay? So he is saying instead of blaming the, you know, the external thing, uh, look at the body and our attachment to us, to it. Because the moment when we're able to reduce this attachment, then we're not so scared. But it sounds weird if we talk of not being attached to this body, then instantly our mind goes, but if I'm not attached to it, I won't protect it. And then that, that turkey is going to eat me instead of me eating him, you know? And you get afraid even of the turkeys. Yeah? Anybody who's afraid of dogs? Yeah? Hmm? It depends on the dog, yeah. If it's a nice dog or a mean dog. <laughs> or a hot dog. <laughs> okay. So who would not revile as an enemy? this body that gives rise to fear. So here it's using the body, attachment to the body as the cause of our suffering, but attachment to our blanket also is a cause of suffering because we're going to have to give it up sometime. Attachment to our reputation is a cause of suffering because we're not always going to have it. Yeah, as you age, you know what ever your reputation was in your field of expertise, it's a has-been reputation, you know, because somebody else has come along and taken over from where you left off and is better than you, or advancing new things that you never thought of. Yeah. And you're sitting there at, at 95 going, oh, but I used to be the best rocket scientist. And now nobody even thinks of me. Yeah. Attachment to that reputation, you know, that's really poisonous. Mm -hmm. Attachment to other people. Yeah. Then when they leave or they die or we're separated by war or famine or who knows what, then so much suffering. Mm -hmm. Okay, 122. By wishing for a means to remedy the hunger, thirst, and sickness of the body. Okay, so get your mind into that, that scene. Yeah, you're hungry, you're thirsty, 
and you don't feel well. Okay? So we want to seek a remedy for that. Yeah. Usually what we do is go to the kitchen, get something to eat, drink, and then, you know, take some ibuprofen or something. Yeah. But what if you're, like many people on this planet, you don't have access to a kitchen or access to medicine? Okay. What do you do when you're hungry, thirsty, and sick? Yeah. Sandy Deva says, I might kill birds, fish, and deer, and loiter by the sides of the roads to rob others. Yeah, and that's what people sometimes do. One of the guys I wrote to in, in prison, he was quite young and he was arrested. Must have been armed robbery because he got, he got 25 years. Okay. He wasn't very old, and I asked him what the situation was. And he says, when you're the oldest child and you're younger and you have younger uh, siblings and you open the refrigerator and all there is is a box of, um, what do you call it, baking soda, then you have to do something. So he went out to look at, for food and wound up getting a 25-year sentence. Yeah? And, uh, you know, this this happens actually quite regularly in this country. You know, the force of poverty, the force of fresh, um, prejudice. Yeah? Okay. So if we think of, you know, when when our body doesn't feel well, yeah. Do we calmly accept what's going on around us? Or are we 100% focused on, I'm not well, so everybody around me needs to know I don't feel well. Yeah? And that they should be nice to me. Yeah? And, you know... I may not stand on the roadside to rob them, but I'll go in the kitchen and take things that aren't offered to everybody, and I'll take them for myself. That's a big no-no. I have to confess that at Posada. Okay. But to think of what we do when we're not feeling well. (laughs) How we moan and groan and... We can't lift our finger to do anything. We want to be weighted on hand and foot. Yeah. And it sure would be nice when I have a bad cold if people brought me flowers, you know, and a get well card and made me my favorite food so I can lie in bed and be mad at the person who coughed from whom I got the the cold. Yeah? Think of what, what you do when you don't feel well. Okay. Then 123. If for the sake of its profit and comfort, I would even kill my father and mother and steal the property of the triple gem, 
then I would undoubtedly proceed to burn in the flames of the deepest hell. Okay? So, for profit and comfort for our body, some people even kill their father and mother. Okay? So some of you may remember in the late 80s, early 90s, there was this uh, case of the Mendez um, brothers. Okay, they uh, were from a wealthy family in Beverly Hills. And the two brothers, one was um, going to Princeton. The other one was in his last year of high school. Uh, they got shotguns. They walked into the living room when their parents were watching TV and shot them multiple times, killed their parents. Yeah. Their defense in court was that their father was sexually abusing them. But the first trial was a hung jury. The second trial, they were still convicted of murder. Okay, the jury didn't believe them at all. So they're, they're locked away for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Things they did when they were young. But one of the things that made the jury not believe them is after their parents were dead, they got all their parents' wealth. The life insurance, the investments and everything. And they went out and bought a condo and all sorts of different stuff. Yeah. So we really don't know what happened if, you know, they killed their parents because they were being abused. Yeah. Or because they wanted the money to live a very nice life of grandeur. Yeah. But, you know, if we take it because they, they wanted to, to get their parents' wealth, then, you know, what's motivating that? Attachment to the body, attachment to pleasure, you know, to even turn against your own parents. That's, that's heavy duty, isn't it? Yeah. No matter what has happened with our parents, still, yeah, they gave us this life. Mm -hmm. And they made sure if, you know, they took care of us or they made sure somebody took care of us when we were little. Otherwise, we would have not survived in infancy. Yeah. So people, you know, because of it, the point here is because of attachment to the body, people will do all sorts of horrible things that harm others and that create the negative karma for themselves. So we know from the Dharma, killing your mother and killing your father, these are two of the five heinous actions. Yeah. You go right to the lower realm, right to hell, the hell realm with those. Yeah. So you might have enjoyed some wealth. Yeah. Inheriting wealth from your parents. But then what happens afterwards in your next life is unbearable. 
Mm-hmm. So it sounds extreme what what Shanti Dev is saying here. So you know, I don't think any of you have killed your parents or plan to, but. Um, you know, another one of the inmates I write, one who is an excellent practitioner now, he killed his mother and his stepfather. Yeah, he was loaded at the time. But that's really no excuse. So, um, you know, what Shandy Devas pointing out is what attachment will make us do. Yeah, when we are desperate because we're attached to something, then we do all sorts of horrible things that not only harm others, but that create create the cause for our own lower uh, lower rebirth. One twenty four. Therefore, what adept would desire uh, to protect and venerate this body? Who would not scorn it and regard it as an enemy? Okay, so we have to understand what Shantideva is saying here. He is not saying the body is evil and sinful and you should harm yourself. Yeah, when he says, who would not scorn it and regard it as an enemy? It doesn't mean you look at your own body and you say, I hate you, and take out a razor blade and start carving on your skin. That is not what Shantideva is saying, okay? We have to be very clear about this because people can get all sorts of weird ideas by misunderstanding, okay? What he's talking about is, and notice he says adept. He's not saying ordinary person who doesn't know dharma. He's talking about people who know the dharma, who have done meditation on mindfulness of the body, yeah, who understand better what the body is, yeah, that the, you know, because our culture and our usual uh, view is that the body is beautiful, the body is a source of pleasure. Okay. Now here when we say the body is a source of pleasure, we we say we attribute the pleasure to the body, but actually it's the food we eat that's giving the pleasure. Okay. It's the if you go bicycling, it's the feeling of the wind in your face that's giving you pleasure. Okay. It's not just the body. Because this same body, when we don't have the external circumstances we want, this body becomes the source of pain yeah, and displeasure. But, you know, we have so much emphasis on this body in this culture. It's really dreadful. Yeah. And especially for young people. You know, they started really talking about uh, in the press what um, social media does for young girls. You know, when you are presented with certain images of what you're supposed to look like 
and, you know, yeah, what you're supposed to look like and how you walk and what you wear and, you know, even your eye, you know, how your eye, everything has to be perfect and how this really causes uh, a lot of angst in young women because none of them look like the models, you know, and you always want to be different. And then as, you know, so you go, oh, you know, there was a a, sh- um, a few weeks ago, uh, there were um, there was one person going to Mexico for a tummy tuck, you know, get you something fixed here. And she went with three friends uh, and two of them uh, were killed in Mexico and the other two were kidnapped because a gang thought that they were members of another uh, cartel. Okay? So attachment to looking in a, sa- a certain way and wanting a tummy tuck, then you go where it's cheap to have the surgery and look what happens. Okay? So, and then just uh, in the last few days, I read something about now they're beginning to see what happens to young men by social media and that young men are facing some of the same things because, you know, there's a certain image of for young women of what you're supposed to look like. And for men also, lean and muscular, you know, kind of, what is it, Rombo and, you know, kind of the... The, the big, you know, I don't even know the names of these guys, you know, who lift the heavy weights and stuff. And so all the young men, you know, they're drinking protein drinks, and that, but then starving themselves because this part's supposed to be lean and this part's supposed to be us. And they go to the gym and they're, you know, this and that. And yeah. And so you know, you grow up and you're so focused on how the body looks because if your body looks like you're supposed to look and supposed to is defined by the people who do the advertising and publicity, then you will have a lot of friends. And of course, everybody wants friends, especially late teens, early 20s, and late 60s, early 70s, and late 80s and early 90s. Everybody wants friends. So you want to look good. Yeah. I remember going into schools to talk and, you know, just an invitation by a a teacher to, you know, give a talk. And inevitably, especially in high school, that the they always ask, why do you shave your head? You know? It's like, who in their right mind would shave their head? Huh? And this is going, the boys are just as interested in, as the girls in why you shave your head, you know? And why do you wear those clothes? You know, you're wearing loose stuff. You can't see the shape of your body, you know. And 
now nowadays, I mean, what they're showing, there's more skin than clothes. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's now transparent clothes. Really? Really? There's a transparent clothes. And people, were, when they're going to the Met for the, the, the big ball, the big, you know, whatever it is, people going, you know, where the rich and famous people go, yeah, then sometimes they wear these, these transparent clothes. And seriously, you know, for the women, I mean, you can see the whole, the whole tush. There's a little triangle here. And, you know, and, and then the rest you can see through. Oh, yeah, there's a little triangle, and then you have two little stars here. <laughs> and this is the latest, what you're supposed to look like. Okay? And now the men also at these gatherings... You know, the men are dressing up like it's Halloween also. Yeah. And some of the men are wearing women's clothes. They're coming with capes full of feathers and, you know, jewelry. And I mean, they look like you with your, with your red mohawk, <laughs> you know, except with, with jewelry and, and, you know, half of their body has a, a sleeve and the other half doesn't and you know it's just amazing and this is you know if you're rich and famous how you're supposed to look yeah and so that body is the source of your pleasure you get a good reputation and they will put you in all the magazines with pictures you know of your rear end you know <laughs> Really, it's like, what planet are we living on? <laughs> yeah, just what you always wanted to send your mom. You know, <laughs> she knows what your rearing looks like. <laughs> yeah, but you know what people do to be noticed. Yeah, to be famous, to you know, be the the influencers. Yeah. So Shantideva is saying, okay, therefore what adept, what practitioner would desire, protect, and venerate this body? You know, if you really look at what the body is, what you do to decorate the body, what you do to protect the body, what you do to compete with others about your health or your looks or this kind of stuff. Yeah. So what adept would do that? And who would not scorn it and regard it as an enemy? Yeah. Because if you're sincerely trying to practice the Dharma, to spend your time, you know, going to the gym to reshape your body and you know, trying to find the robes that somehow show off your figure or show off your muscles or whatever. Come on. Yeah. And who would pamper the body and, you know, 
know I'm hurt. You know, woo-hoo. yeah. Who who would uh, yeah make such a big deal about their body and pamper it, and worry about it? You know, some people worry. You know, it's very interesting in the community. We have some people who will not go to the doctor even if they are very sick, and other people who go to the doctor when they cough once. Uh, maybe twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But people who pamper the body and it's like, you know, oh, you know, I coughed. Oh, I blow my nose. I must have COVID. Yeah. And, and the, the fear we experience over our body getting injured or getting sick or getting old. Yeah, getting old and your body not working like it used to. Yeah. So some of the senior bhikshunis, we decided that we were going to have a little group and talk about aging. Okay, so um, yeah, we're ordering a few extra wheelbarrows <laughs> so you can wheel us into the meeting. And some more um, ski sticks, yeah, so that we can walk to get to the meeting. And then Venerable Darpa said, uh, if she has wandered off, please send somebody else to find her. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's what happens to this body. Yeah. And... You know, we can spend our whole precious human life worrying about our body and protecting it and glamour, glamorizing, glam, glamorize, glamorize a word. Yeah. Okay. So we're not saying mistreat your body. We're not saying torture your body. Okay. You remember that the Buddha, uh, did that for six years, ate one grain of rice a day for six years. He was so thin that when he touched his belly button, he felt his spine. Yeah. And, and then he stopped that because he realized that torturing the body does not make, does not lessen the desire and the attachment related to the body. Okay. So we have to keep our body healthy. Yeah, we have to keep it clean, but not in excess and not worry about it. Yeah, because if, if you look, you know, the amount of worry we have for our body really torments us. Yeah, really, it does, doesn't it? When you're worried about your body, you, there's, you just went to the doctor, everything, you got a clean bill, but it's like, Oh, but, but, I, I, uh, I scratched myself on a bush and maybe I got tetanus. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to die from tetanus. One small thing and just worry, you know? Yeah. I got to brush my teeth a certain way. I time it. You know, now you have timers for how long you brush your teeth. Yeah. To make sure that you brush them exactly. The right amount of time. Yeah. I never do. I either do too much or too little. But I'd average this out. <laughs> you know? 
And then you worry about, oh, you know, oh, uh, uh, there, I have a, a, I need a root canal, you know. Oh, my tooth is a little bit sore. Oh, that means Dr. Ben's going to take them all out. No, <laughs> you know. Uh, but just to think of how the worry about the body torments us. Yeah, nothing has even happened, but we worry. Okay, worry, anxiety, you know, leading to fussing. Yeah, leading to getting very nervous. Yeah. So, you know, this is where um, mindfulness of the body, that practice, really is very helpful because you look at what this body is and then you say, is it worth, you know, look at what it is. Yeah. And where, where, what it is in the process of becoming. And is it worthwhile to worry so much? What good does worrying about my health do? Yeah. When something's wrong, you go to the doctor. Yeah. But it's interesting, you know, some small thing's wrong and it's like, oh, I'm sure I have cancer. Yeah. How many times have you thought you had cancer and it was nothing? Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So it's the worry, the fuss, the wasted time. And how much we suffer because of that. Yeah. Okay. Then, so that was 124. 125. Okay. He's going to continue to hit us here. Okay. So here's the self-centered thought talking. If I give this, what shall I have left to enjoy? Yeah. I, I can't give these things up because then I, w I won't have it and I won't enjoy it. Yeah? So I, I can't give it up. You know, if I give everything up, then I'm going to be totally miserable. How does Shantideva respond to that? Such selfish thinking is the way of ghosts. He's not going to let us get away with that. Yeah. If I give this, what shall I have left to enjoy? Please. You know, I like my cup. I like my thermos. This is my thermos. It was given to me by my great, 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 great grandfather. And every time I look at it, I think of my great, 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 great grandfather. And it's such a beautiful color, pink. And I unscrew it, and I feel powerful. Because usually the person who's put the water in has made it so tight that I can't open it. So this time I can open it. May all sentient beings have the happiness of a pink thermos given to them by their great, great, 
great, great, great grandfather when they didn't even have thermoses. I don't think my great, 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 great grandfather had a thermos. Yeah, I don't even think my great, 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 great grandfather had a thermos. Yeah. But he disappeared on the family, so we don't know. Maybe he had a thermos and he took it with him. Yeah. Um, okay, if I give this, what shall I have left to enjoy? Sandy Davis says, such selfish thinking is the way of ghosts. Because you think of it, you know, a ghost. Yeah. D can a, a ghost enjoy other things? They don't have a body with the same kind of senses. Yeah. Do you think the ghost is going to like this Luden sugar-free, which means it has a lot of chemicals in it, um, sweet? Yeah. Do you think a ghost would enjoy that? I'll leave it out. We'll see tonight if somebody takes it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then self, the selfish mind says, if I enjoy this, what? No, this is what the, the wise mind says. If I enjoy this, what shall I have left to give? So the selfish mind says, if I give this, what do I have left to enjoy? And the generous mind says, if I enjoy this, what shall I have left to give? Okay. So a lot of people gave me presents. Then if I just keep them all for myself, yeah, then, um, no, I'm getting it wrong. If a lot of people gave me presents, if I keep them for myself and enjoy them and use them all up, then what do I have to give in a practice of generosity? Okay, because I've eaten all the good things. Uh, there's nothing left for everybody else. Uh, I now have the blanket, no, the rug to put by the side of my bed. I now have the, now have the nice comforter, you know. If I enjoy these things, then I have nothing to give people. Yeah. Such selfless thinking is a quality of the gods. Okay. But it means when it says quality of the gods, it's talking about, you know, the, having a, a, a godlike mind that doesn't cling to, cling to everything. Okay. So it's interesting, you know, when people give you offerings or people give you presents, watch the mind. I'm keeping this one for myself. Yeah. If I give it, then I won't have anything to enjoy. But if you receive it and if you think, if I enjoy this, then what will I have to give? And actually, practicing generosity is of more benefit to me and others than using something for my own selfish pleasure. Mm hmm so this is totally the opposite of what worldly people think, yeah? And, you know, the worldly way is whatever you can get, get it. 
keep it for yourself. Yeah, be generous, but give away the things you don't want. Give away the things that aren't such good quality. Keep the nice stuff for yourself. Yeah, and Dharma's just the opposite. If we do that and keep everything for ourselves, how are we going to accumulate merit through generosity? Yeah, or that's talking about the generosity of material things, you know. What about the generosity of protection? If I just think about my own comfort, how will I be generous and offer protection to others? So I remember thinking about this. The first year I stayed in the at the library in Dharamsala. Yeah, and this was 1977. And uh, the toilets were definitely merely labeled toilets. <laughs> Yeah, they were a hole in the ground, and you did not know what was swimming in that hole when you meant, went to make your offering to it. Yeah, and, you know, bugs were drowning in it. So are you going to do something to liberate those bugs drowning in the, to- in the, in the, in the hole in the ground? Or were you going to pretend that you didn't see them? Or were you going to say to yourself, oh, they cause disease and I'm going to, you know, get typhoid if I, you know, try and liberate them? You know, <laughs> you think of what <laughs> we think of a sangha. You know the story about a sangha? Yeah. I'm going to stick out my tongue and and take the 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 maggot out of you know or whatever's drowning in that toilet i'm going to do it the asanga way <laughs> yeah cuz you just heard this teaching and it's like oh you know we go to extreme you know i mean asanga did that then i should do that too <laughs> if my parents saw me stick my tongue in that toilet they would have a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we, we often misunderstand things. But, <laughs> yeah. But to see even, you know, some bug, is, somebody left uh, a bucket of water uh, uncovered. Yeah. And a bug is drowning in it. Yeah. It's only water. Are you going to stop and put your finger in and liberate the bug or walk past because, you know, it's a bug? You know, and the more bugs die, the fewer bugs are there to bother me. Yeah. Okay, so there were some things that happened in the news uh, that I actually, um, that pertain actually to um, a couple of verses ago, talking about cherishing the body. Okay? But but they fit in here, you know. Uh, Yeah. So, three things happened this week, in just in one week, where young people were shot and some were killed by just 
making ordinary, you know, mistakes, innocent things. Okay. So one kid, he's 16. He was uh, going to get, get his twin brothers. His mom or dad said, you know, go pick him up. They're playing at somebody's house. So he had the address. And it was a neighborhood where you had, I forget the name of the street, if it was like 15th Terrace and 15th Street. Okay. So all the streets had similar names. So he was supposed to go to 15th Terrace, but he went to 15th Street. Yeah. He knocked on the door. Yeah. An 84-year-old man opened the door and shot him in the arm and shot him in the head. That's all he did was knock or, or press the doorbell. Okay. They arranged, you know, they arrested that man. And when he went into court, you know, he stooped over. He's 84 years old. His wife just went into a nursing home. He said that when he saw that kid outside, he was terrified for himself. It just so happens the 16-year-old kid was black and the man was white. Yeah? It's daytime, late afternoon. Yeah? But he shot this kid. Fortunately, the kid didn't die. He has a long recovery in front of him, you know, because he got shot in the head. It's a miracle, really, that, that he's still alive. Yeah? So that's an excellent example of being attached to your body and what you do to protect this body, how you exaggerate the, you know, what, what's happening. He went to two houses. It doesn't say, and it was only, it doesn't say at those first two houses he went to if people were there or not there, but he didn't get any help at those first two houses. It was only when he went to the third house that people told him, he's bleeding, he's bleeding out, to lie on the driveway with his hands up while they called 911. Okay. So this is the land of the free and the home of the brave. <clears throat> yeah. That somebody did this. Then, okay, the second one was... There was a girl who's 20 years old and out with some of her friends. And uh, they were going to another friend's house uh, who lived out in a rural area. And they turned uh, to go up this one road. It, the, it was actually a driveway, but it was very wide, so it looked like a road. They got up to, to the end of the driveway. They realized, oh, this is the wrong house. They were turning their car around. The guy who owns the house came out and shot at them. 
Okay. This time, the, the girl who was driving, she was killed. All she did was turn up the wrong driveway. Yeah. The guy, no, again, what? Attachment to I and mine. Attachment to my body, my property, my land, my space. Yeah. And so, you know, you stand the ground. You know that that wonderful law that they started out in Florida, which is the most wonderful state with the fairest laws in the whole union. Yeah. If you read the... I won't get into that. Um, yeah. Florida is incredible, and I know there's two people here from Florida. Okay. But now you're from Washington State, aren't you? Yeah. Okay. So, um, how did we get to Florida? This happened in... Yeah, yeah, because this happened in, I think, New York. Yeah. It did what didn't happen in Florida. Anyway, the, the stand your ground law, you know, remember, uh, Trayon, uh, Martin, Trayvon Martin, who got killed? Yeah. Then you, somebody's on your property. And if you're the one who lives, then you're the one who gets, who are free because you claim that the other person was threatening you. If you're the one who dies, you have no choice or no opportunity to present your part of the story. So you're automatically to blame. Yeah. If you remember what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah. It's another story. Anyway. So this young woman died turning around the car after realizing she went up the wrong driveway. Mm hmm. Okay. Then the third incident. Okay. So this is attachment to I and mine. Yeah. Yeah. The third incident took place in the parking lot of, I don't know what, you know, was some like, I don't know, it was Target or Walgreens in one of these big stores, you know, or a grocery store. Yeah. So it, it took place there. So there were um, a couple of young women who had just been to cheerleading practice. So apparently cheerleading is now a sport that you can compete in. Ra, ra, na, mo, a, mi, to, fo, na, mo, mi, to, fo. <laughs> yeah, so they had just come back. From their cheerleading rehearsal that they had to drive into some other city, they came back. One of the girls got out of the car that was driving and was going to go into, get into her own car and go home. Well, she sees the car and she opens the door. And as it turns out, that car just looks like her car. It wasn't her car. There was somebody sitting in the passenger seat who took out his gun and shot her. Even though she's closing the door saying, oh, I'm sorry, I, I mistook this for my car. I think 
um, there, one of the girls was very severely injured, and one was injured but not severely. Okay. Huh? Yeah, was one killed? Yeah. Okay. But, you know, it, it, it illustrates what happens when we are attached to my body, my property, my things, yeah, my reputation, my this and that. Yeah. It's, it's quite amazing. Okay. So then 126, if for my own sake I cause harm to others, I shall be tormented in hellish realms. Yeah, because we create the negative karma that's going to put us in that situation. But if for the sake of others I cause harm to myself, I shall acquire all that is magnificent. Again, we have to understand this correctly. Yeah, but if for the sake of others I cause harm to myself, Shantideva is not saying go out and harm yourself. Yeah, he is not saying that. What he's saying is when there's the opportunity to help somebody, you may be a little bit inconvenienced, you may have a, a little bit of pain or confusion, but by sacrificing your, your, the happiness you cling on to, then you create the kind of karma and you progress along the, the path to full awakening. Yeah. But if for our own sake we cause harm to others, so all three of these situations where the victim did nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong, if for the, my own sake I cause harm to others, I shall be tormented in hellish realms. Yeah? And then you look also, also politically, Okay. Not no, not just politically. If you look in terms of the media, okay. So the the three examples I just came, I just gave from our Lam Lamram text. Yeah, the Washington Post. The, yeah, the New York Times. Um, then there's another really big one that influence that uh, is this. If I, you know, for my own sake, I cause harm to others. Yeah. Okay. So Fox News has faced a huge uh, lawsuit. Yeah. Dominion, uh, which is a, um, a vote, mach a voting machine. Yeah. Uh, company. Uh, they were accused, you know, of changing votes for Trump in the 2020 election and giving them, yeah, yeah, 2020 election and giving them to Biden. Okay. And it harmed their company. And it was, you know, all these cases, you remember uh, how many court cases uh, were brought saying that 
the voting machines made by Dominion, made by smart, smartmatic, you know, that there was this horror, you know, the, the 2020 election was rigged. There was a, a voting fraud, this whole thing that is still going on. Okay. So Fox News, um, you know, reported on all of this. Then Dominion, yeah, the voting machine brings a $1.6 billion, uh, suit against Fox News for, um, defama- defamation of their company. Yeah. Because the Fox News reporters were saying the election was rigged and, you know, Dominion voting machines didn't work and they besides were, you know, for Biden and they changed all the votes and everything like that. Okay. So it's a huge suit and it's against the, the biggest uh, cable media uh, news station in the country. Okay. Then in the discovery part of the trial, what does Dominion find? And Dominion's lawyers, what do they find? They find texts between the reporters of, uh, in Fox News and the, uh, Rupert Murdoch, who's the big boss and the CEO, I forget her name, um, of Fox News and all the higher up people. And it turns out that none of them believed the election was rigged. Yeah. But what are they telling their people, the Americans listening to the station? The election was rigged. This is horrible. The Dems are destroying the country. They are, you know, Biden did not win. Trump, you know, it was a landslide for Trump. And, you know, all this horrible stuff that, that, uh, Fox has been putting out day after day, night after night, you know, with Venerable Tarpus, favorite newscast, newscaster, um, uh, dear Tucker. Okay. And then there was Maria, you know, and who else? A bunch of them, you know. Sorry, I don't know them all by first name. One was Dobbs and, oh, is anybody watch Fox? None of, nobody watches Fox here. Oh, huh. Anyway, so they, they find emails back and forth between these people where Trump, where, where, um, Tucker Carlson is saying, I hate Trump in the email. And what is he saying? Trump wrote to his people, Trump won the election. Okay. So this is happening with all their news. Total lies. Okay. Now, why are they lying? At one point, during when all this was going on, somebody said, you know, we need to tr- fact, uh, fact check all Trump's, uh, accusations better. Yeah. We need to fact check these things, uh, because it seems like many of them are not accurate. 
I said it politely, right? Uh, so, so what? When he fe- he he wrote in an email, or she wrote in an email to uh, to one of the big people in charge of facts, Fox, <laughs> and the you know, and oh, she what, and so what the the thing was. As somebody else came in, I think maybe this was Tucker came in and said, or somebody, do not do that because this is what the, the audience wants to hear. And when we tell the truth, when we don't say these things, then our ratings go down. And so the big person in the company said, we got to keep reporting because this is what the people listening to our station want to hear. Yeah? They're blatantly saying, you know, we know what we're broadcasting is lies, but we don't want to stop it because then our business will go down and people will watch One American News and Newsmax and these other far-right things instead of watching us. So we've got to continue talking like this. So, yeah, this is all coming out. It's spread over all the newspapers in the country except Fox. Okay? So there was one guy in Fox who wants to report on it, and he was told no. You don't report on it. Okay? So, and and so it's clear, yeah, in this suit that they were doing it just for profit. Just for, yeah, the fame and money for their station. And what effect did it have on the country? horrible effect. It made everybody suspicious of the... Not everybody. It it made people believe in some of these outrageous conspiracy theories. Yeah? It, it, it produced a lot of the, the um, faction, factionalization <laughs> that, you know, polarization that we're facing now. Yeah, and they did it just for profit. Okay. So for the sake, for my own sake, if for my own sake I cause harm to others, I shall be tormented in hellish realms. So this this thing in the news really illustrates that very clearly. So we might say, well, I don't do that. Yeah. But we do some other things for our own sake, that actually harm others. Okay? We spread rumors. We gossip. We borrow things and don't return them. Yeah, all sorts of stuff. And bigger things as well. Yeah? Okay, I should tell you, they, they just had, uh, this, the case was just concluded. They were actually facing a trial. They were going to have to put Root, uh, Ruda, Rudy, Rupert, Rupert Murdoch and Tucker 
Carlson on the stand and have them, you know, they would be witnesses and uh, the prosecution would question them and they'd have to tell the truth, okay? So many people were looking forward to that. It's like, finally, we've got, we've got to hold media stations to a standard because otherwise everybody can say whatever they want and lie whatever they want and just say, well, it's news because that's what Fox was saying, you know. Oh, well, isn't it news if the president says that the election was rigged? So we printed that because the president said it. Yeah. No, you got to fact check what the president says. Yeah. Especially that president. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so it looked like they were going to go to trial and, uh, people were saying, you know, there's a good chance Dominion would win because it had all the, this evidence. And then the trial was supposed to start on Monday. The judge postponed it till Tuesday. Everybody is. Then Tuesday it was supposed to start at two o'clock. The judge isn't there. Yeah, the uh, the attorneys aren't there. Then at like I don't know four o'clock or something, they come in and there was a settlement at the last minute. Okay. And uh, so Fox is going to give uh, Dominion, what was it, like almost eight, $800 million. Yeah, almost $800 million, which for Fox is nothing. Yeah, because they make over $4 billion a year. So it's like almost nothing for Fox. Yeah, and uh, they... You know, so many people were disappointed because we wanted to see the truth come out, you know. The attorney for Dominion said, uh, we, we achieved our objectives by showing that Fox was, you know, saying things that were false, that were harming our country. We're making them pay for it. And they acknowledged it. Well... Kind of. The only acknowledgement uh, that was in the, the deal was uh, that uh, some, some of the statements that Fox made about, um, about Dominion uh, were inaccurate. Yeah? And so many people... We, you know, we were really hoping that Dominion, whether it went to court or whether it, it uh, settled, should make one stipulation that Fox, on its own network, say to people, we lied about our reporting. But Fox didn't have to do that after all. Okay. And the people who listen to Fox aren't getting the news because they don't listen to other stations and know, you know, what was going on. 
Okay, so you see what I mean by the, the news being a very good uh, Lam Rim text. You know, what attachment makes you do? And how attachment, you know, to your ratings, yeah, to your money, to your prestige, how that makes you harm an entire country, not just the present citizens, but what's happening now is going to influence the country for generations. Yeah? Okay, so we can't just point the finger at those people and say, look at them, they're corrupt. Yeah? This is whenever you see people doing things that are unethical. Yeah? You notice it, but then you say, I have the same tendencies, the same mental factors in my mind, in my previous lives. Who knows what in the world I did? I probably did that too. So I need to purify. Okay? So you use it as a motivation to purify and as a motivation to watch your own ethical con you know, conduct. Yeah. And you don't just point the finger at others and say that they're corrupt, okay? Because the whole purpose of all of this is, you know, our own anger, our own attachment, our own self-centeredness. Those are the real enemy. And with that... My stickers... So I can put them in the book and know where I left off. Mine. Mine. Don't you take them. Well, okay. Okay, so we stopped at 126. Okay. Questions? Comments? Yeah. The stories you shared about the young people getting shot made me think about my grandmother. And, you know, she was a sweet little old lady who didn't have a gun. And one day she was telling me about how she was so terrified once going out for a walk. You know, this is in our small town. She lived about two blocks from me. Now she was so scared because there was this gang of kids hanging out on the road. She's telling me this and I ask her where it was. She was describing the bus stop that I was at. Like she was describing a group of children I was probably in. <laughs> and she was scared for her life. So I think, um, I think it may have been in the teaching this week, that discussion that, you know, we see people as different than us. We're afraid of them. Um, and, and how that can turn to, to violence. Yeah. So that, that notion that she didn't even see that her own granddaughter was in this group of kids because she started with that imputation of this is a gang. Mm -hmm. So, um, showing that, that power that we need to see the yeah. common humanity yeah. in each other. Mm -hmm. Did you tell her that you were? Uh, yes, but probably not so skillfully at the time. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else? I think we're just fortunate because in 2015, 
Then Madame Cho and I went around the countryside around here looking for a tractor to borrow. And so we were walking up to homes of places that we did not know the people because we were intent on getting a tractor. We needed one. And so um, in two cases, the people didn't come to the door. We were pretty sure they were home. But um, I think perhaps we were fortunate that they didn't come to the door. Perhaps. And then during winter retreat, one of our neighbors called, and they were very, very upset mm. because... Um, they noticed someone in maroon robes walking up their driveway and their children were home alone and the children were terrified and they didn't they I guess they know a lot of our faces but they didn't recognize this person and the parent was extremely distraught please do not walk up our driveway ever again wow which driveway was that the Jake yeah, that's kind of the only driveway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So if we want to even go around the border of the property, we should call Jake and let them know we're coming. If you want to say something, speak up. You know, Grandma's here. It was hard of hearing. <laughs> no, I just wanted to share uh, from the Tibetan commentary. Ah. Uh. It just happened to be looking at on stanza 125, where it says, If I give this, what should I have left to enjoy? Uh -huh. Such selfish thinking is the way of ghosts. Uh-huh. It... Uh, it uh, comments on what does way of ghosts and way of mm. the, way of the gods, gods mean. Mm. So way of the uh, way of the ghosts in that it gives rise to fear. Gives rise to fear. Yeah, yeah. It generates fear. Mm -hmm. And it's the quality of gods in that it's source of all magnificence. Source of all magnificence uh, for the gods, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As uh, calling it as the way of gods is saying, that way of thinking is the source of all magnificence, the, all all benefit, and the yeah. source, the other one, the source of all fear. Yeah, all fear. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Huh? The the danger of misinterpreting them mm -hmm. that you pointed out today very clearly. And it's, it dawned on me that maybe this needs to be rewritten. Needs to be re retranslated. Retranslated, yeah. Because saying, I cause harm to myself. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, this, this, this body is the enemy. Yeah. Like yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, it's. Uh, it could be a weapon in the hands of wrong people. Oh, yeah. They yeah. could weaponize it. Yeah. And, and then they said there could be some who are naive and could even take it as, as a practice. Mm. Sometimes people have this misunderstanding that yeah. could be a good practice. Buddhist, you have to suffer. Yeah. Whereas when you have suffered, there are ways to turn it around, but mm. you don't necessarily have to go for suffering. 
if you could be well, you could as well use it mm-hmm. for others, but not necessarily go for suffering. Yeah. So, so today yeah. it really struck to me. Yeah. So it's it's hard if you translate it literally. It doesn't come out as Stephen Batchelor translated it, or it does. It does come out. So Shanti Deva did say it like yeah, that. Yeah, he says it. He translating yeah. it literally. Okay. And whereas uh, Venerable uh, gave a suggestion saying, say for stanza two one twenty six, if for my own sake I cause harm to others, I shall be tormented in hellish realms. That's quite fine. Uh huh. But if for the sake of others I cause harm to myself. I should acquire all that is magnificent. Yeah, that is open, wide open yeah. to misinterpretation. Right. And even if you look very carefully, that's exactly what it says, right? Yeah. So instead, uh, what in, uh, what uh, Venerable suggested is, if but if for the sake of others, I bring inconvenience to myself, I shall acquire all that is magnificent. Yeah. Such as like that, which mm-hmm. is not too way off from the original. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. At the same time, it takes away all those dangerous way of interpreting. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things in Buddhism that that people can easily misunderstand. Yeah. There's so many things, and you know, uh, we we do need to be careful about that. Yeah, even the, some of the pujas, we, you know, that are done in the monasteries. If people knew what the pujas were saying, some people would be horrified because they don't have that worldview. And, yeah. Yeah, we have to be quite careful. Venerable, we did some projects on uh, women's empowerment. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in the case of domestic violence, you know, uh, there are some women who actually uh, was harmed by their spouse. Oh, yeah. But what they did was blame themselves. Yep. So, uh, how mm-hmm. do you, uh, how how should we go about that? Yeah, remedying that. Yeah, that that's talked about here too because women are taught, you know. That if your man is unhappy, it's because you're inadequate or you did something wrong. And, uh, you know, women are often taught from the time, you know, you're little and it's rubbish. Well, but some people believe it's true. And then the women take that on. So I think, you know, to overcome that, uh, to help women know, you know, you are a human being. You have knowledge. You are worthwhile. You have talents to offer to society. You don't need to uh, believe whatever anybody says about you, especially, you know, in this kind of domestic situation. Because I think what also happens in there, there's so many factors, not only the psychological factor of, oh, you're in love with this guy and so you believe whatever he says about you, but also many women are economically, financially dependent on their husbands. Yeah, and they can't leave, especially if they have kids. You know, if they leave, where are they going to live? They Because they don't have skills to get a job, or even they have a job, how do you support four kids making, you know, a minimum wage? 
So they wind up staying with the men. Yeah. So I think we need more social services that help women in this kind of condition. But we also need to have a different message in society that the man is not the ruler of the family, is not the ruler of the household. Sorry, guys. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't think any of you here believe you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that, that is not true and that people have to, you know, respect each other in a family and really teach an, a differing message. I was at one uh, Buddhist conference once, and uh, one very well-known monk was uh, speaking, and he was giving the example of a woman who had come to him, and uh, her husband had been beating her, and she was wondering what to do, and uh, his advice was have compassion for him. So, you know, what is half compassion? It's okay, dear. I love you. It's okay. I forgive you. I have compassion. You just lost your temper that one time. You know, I'm not leaving. I'm not calling the police. I'm not doing anything because somehow I must have done something. Uh, but I have compassion because you lost your temper. You know, your temper is my fault. When this monk said it, You know, I restrained myself, <laughs> but I, I did say when it was my turn to speak, yeah, that if you're in a domestic situation and a man strikes you or anything physically like that or puts you down repeatedly, you know, emotionally, you say this is not acceptable, acceptable behavior goodbye, and you walk out the door. Yeah? Because you got to protect yourself, and especially if you have kids, you know, it's dangerous to keep your kids in a household with a man who's violent, because he may beat you, but the next is he's going to take it out on the kids. Yeah? So I think, you know, the legal system, the social welfare system, yeah, and also just how we educate people from the time they're young, that uh, that is not acceptable, you know, domestic violence is not acceptable, period. No ifs, ands, and buts. I want to put in a plug for this book by Melinda Gates French in this regard uh -huh. called Moment of Lift. I learned so much reading her book because she's... Um, because she goes into these foundational work that they do all over the world, mm -hmm. you know, to try to help mostly the most poor poor and to help societies and whatever. And the way they do it is kind of slowly and seeing with a lot of more, they see the, they learn about the complexities of things. And so mm -hmm. they have gone into cultures where this has been the case, what you were just discussing, and they do it in a way that's like grassroots. Mm -hmm. That works for that culture. It's not them coming in, putting their our what will work in our culture on another yeah. culture. Yeah. And I really feel when I read her book, I learned so much, but also how much she listened to where rich people from Western companies 
countries go into other countries and other cultures and Mm -hmm. make a mess of things because this is the people on the ground that told for that. They've been doing this for decades. And they said, you come in and you make a mess of things. And so she really listened and she learned, you know, she, you know, the, the way that they went about things was, I thought just, you know, I didn't, I've never read anything like that actually, where I felt like, wow, they really are trying to look at this in a way that has some potential to work. And it has, and some of the things they, yeah. they modeled after programs that have worked and they have been extremely beneficial in this yeah. way. There's so many stories in her book that address this that were yeah. really uplifting. Yeah. It's very much the colonial mind. Yeah. That goes into another culture and says, you know, our way of doing things is the one right way. And we're going to make sure you do things our way. And that was a big mistake in Afghanistan, for example. Although, you know, it was a big mistake. On the other hand, for a while, for a few years, women got education. Yeah. It's difficult, it's difficult, but definitely imposing one's own views on other people is, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Okay, let's dedicate.